But with this song, you know, it was a forced protest song. It was a forced this, it was a forced <laughs> that. And it's very much like co-opted capitalist protesting not as in protests on the ground but as in like aesthetics it kind of gives me pepsi commercial kendall jenner that vibe that is where we're going with all of this and it's um it's a shocking sight to really see guys and welcome back to don't alert the stands you are here with your host today nicholas terrell and shopper and today eden is not with us um once more but it's just for personal commitment reasons he should be back next week so should pray for that but you're here with us um and we have some special guests which shopper will get to in a little bit but um first of all just wanted to ask how have you been this week shopping i have just been very overwhelmed it's just it's getting to that time where just a lot is going on with the day job side hustles mm-hmm. and yeah i just yeah my my brain was absolutely fried and destroyed yesterday but um you know I must say, I guess on the flip side, I'm blessed to be working on some really cool things. And on the journalism journalism side, I have some interesting stuff that should be arising in the next couple of weeks, month or so. And um, yeah, like, you know, and I just want to pat myself on the back on the PR front. Mm -hmm. My Iris Star hype base shoot went live this week, which has been in the works for about two months. And it was just beautiful to see it finally out and in the world and whatever. So, yeah. Well, I'm just going to say well done because that shoe, as you know, personally looked excellent. Um, I commented on that. Um, I definitely can tell that you are working with some really expansive eyes right now. Um, And, you know, on a personal note, just some of the stuff you've mentioned to me too, I'm just really excited for, you know, what's to come um, in the future with, you know, the PR on the PR front this year, because it sounds like it's a very exciting time for you to be honest and then the personal stuff like I know everything that's going on (laughs) I yeah you listeners are gonna you're in for a treat during this season um on on a work and personal kind of projects front from Shope uh definitely keep an eye on to on what he's got coming because I think just the sheer amount of talent that's about to drop is yeah just just read get your eyes open get ready to read and listen to us as well um because <laughs> yeah april may excited time uh, bef- <laughs> yes yes and before we get into how nick is doing i've got to just bow down and give all the flowers because i screamed when i saw <laughs> that nicholas Terrell had interviewed tiana major nine who you <laughs> who all of you should know we all love her Yes. So I just see on Twitter, I was like, wait, hold up. Wicker, wicker, <laughs> rewind. You messaged me at like two major. in the morning, Sorry. guys. <laughs> so funny. And then I woke up and saw it. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> but um, no, that was crazy. I couldn't believe it. I was like, not Tiana Major 9. Yes. So let's all give our, our, our applause and praise to Mr. Nicholas Terrell. 
on that wonderful Chief of the Complex UK. I cannot wait to read that this weekend. But yes, Nick, get into how your life has been this week. Yeah, and I actually have a Shopee piece to read this weekend too, Jasmine Sullivan. So I'm going to do that tomorrow morning. Um, I cannot wait. I just can tell there's going to be so many you know, stories about hotels and the discography before and jazz. I just know Shopping is a great interviewer. So I know I'm going to get all the answers I want, I've wanted for all these years. So can't wait. But um, yeah, like in terms of me, <laughs> transition, I think the word, and Shopping will know this personally, on a personal front, I think there's um, a transitioning flow um, right now. And I think, um yeah i'm working on some really cool pieces as well i've worked on some cool pieces for the last like this week as well in the, in the past few weeks too um and yeah like i just uh try to balance everything and, and just think about things a lot as well um yeah there should be some interesting stories for me in the next month or two too um just some milestone kind of things happening too um and yeah as I said transition so I'm just focused on that and having all the background conversations to make things work um if it happens you guys will find out about it um if not there'll be a transition this year but um yeah I'm I'm good I'm good I'm just I just want to go out and have a meal at a restaurant I think I'm tired of cooking you know like that's where I'm at I, I love to cook as everyone probably who follows me knows on Twitter and stuff I'll be tweeting about the kitchen and all this kind of stuff all the time but yo man is tired like I'm ready to just go to a restaurant and have someone cook and just enjoy a meal you know I'm, I'm a foodie Shopping knows this like we've gone out multiple times like to restaurants and stuff um and when we were in NOLA as well food was a big part of our trip so um Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. definitely enjoy food and I just cannot wait for things to open up next month outside so it's safer um, I'm you know people who are advocating for safer COVID stuff definitely these, these are outside things so it will be safer for the lot of us but you know just a glass of red a bit of fish outside um, I'm there you know mm. that's what that's what I'm there for mm. you know I'm just uh, I want to try new restaurants as well this year so I'm definitely in the space to just get back to seeing people I love, friends, you know, um, mm-hmm. and just get into that. But yeah, apart from that, I'm I'm good. You know, my mental health's in a much better place than it was last season, I'd say this season. So I'm blessed for that, even though the little niggles of I'm tired, I'm this and that, you know, all things considered, I think I'm doing quite well. Um, I, I think we all are to an extent-ish or we're working on getting to that place which is good I think we're being really intentional this year all of us in terms of just working on ourselves and being really cognizant of how we feel so I'm proud of all of us for that um and yeah I'm just exciting things for this podcast this week so hopefully everyone has a really good fruitful conversation we are just because of time constraints and what we've got to get through the podcast this week going to zoom into the new section but um yes don't worry next week we'll give you twice as many hopefully or just a, a bit more 
I've got albums that I'll let you know about on my mind now. So I'll save them for next week. So we'll have some good discussion around what we've been listening to next week. So we'll zoom in so we can cover all ground and get you guys, you know, the interview that you deserve a bit later on around a movement in music. If, you, if you've been following UK music, you'll know about this. Um, and yeah, we'll give you the inside scoop or like what's going on with that that movement and all things aside, just what why it's been worked on. But I'm really excited to get to that, but we'll get into the news right now. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, there is a bit of respect and legends here in the mix um, because this is a really interesting story, actually, when I was reading it. I just think it's, it speaks to something we've spoken about in the past with with loads of other artists and just the business angle of music. I think this season is, is focused a lot on the business, but um, this is about Anita Baker and she is asking her fans not to purchase or stream her music. Uh, she's currently battling with her label for the rights to own her actual masters. And we spoke, as I said, we've spoken about masters. I think we've mentioned Remy Ma in the past um, mm-hmm. and that sentiment of just owning your masters. But I will definitely just get into the nuts and bolts of this story and then we can kind of discuss it a little bit. But this happened actually a few days ago um, on March 9th. So this was Twitter taken Um so miraculously, I have outlived all of my artist contracts. Uh, they no longer own my name and likeness. And by law, 30 years, year old master stories are to be returned to me. Unfortunately, they're going to make me fight for it. I'm prepared to do that. Please don't advertise or buy them. Um, AB, obviously for Anita Baker and EXO, obviously that popular send off. So... <clears throat> Um, a fan, She's such an auntie. <laughs> I know, literally. That's like literally a letter. Like it kind of reads like an old school kind of letter, which is great. I like, I, I like how, even how this this tweet reads. Definitely go to Revolt where I'm reading this from and just get the quote because it's funny. Or go to her Twitter herself, um, and you can see that. But yeah, a fan responded and said they would dedicate a spot of it. Spotify, sorry, playlist to her. And Baker replied saying the music streaming service doesn't pay artists what they're worth. This is part of a larger debate. Multiple artists have spoken about this in the last um, decade or so, actually, um, whether it's by Twitter, formal interviews, etc., etc. But um, <clears throat> hello, sweetheart. Thank you for sending me your love, but let's not advertise Spotify streaming, which is a publicly traded company with a 50 million valuation. I mean, she's not wrong here, um, but doesn't pay artists and creators what they're worth. Um, ABXO. This is reading very much like signature sign off here. But um, yeah, fans continue to question her instructions. Um, Baker gave them a quick lesson on how the industry works when it comes to paying artists. Um, this kind of reminds me of like Left Eye and her iconic kind of statement around the breakdown of, you know, TLC's <laughs> advance, how it was worked, how they got to um, the little breadcrumbs that they were they were given um, and how they're being used by their label at the time. But um, yeah, she kind of did this in digital form on Twitter again um, and she broke down the streams. Uh, so she said, correction, 2020 streaming rate, 0.003 dollars um, to 00, 0.005, which is one third dash one half a penny per stream for artists, um, minus fees, taxes, etc., etc. They need to leave me alone for real. 
Um, she later used a gif of Prince to describe the music industry um, as thieves. And um, many fans can recall, obviously, um, when Doves Cry, uh, she publicly fought the record label for the rights to... Um, sorry, he publicly fought the rights for the rights to his masters. And Michael Jackson has done it in the past. Multiple legends have done it in the past. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is a historical thing um even when Remy Ma was first signing she got told you know get your masters um which she luckily did so she has the rights to that um and is gaining revenue on that you know as it gets continues to get played used license etc but um Baker kind of ended the exchange with like love hugs and convo always welcome on RTL I am no longer free advertising for the thieves in the temple. Hashtag joy rising. I love this. I love this. Honestly, not love the circumstance, but just love how open she's being of it. I think it's it's a modern day lesson of how the industry is working. But this was the exchange um, in as much detail as possible. Fingers crossed the masters are secured in the end. I'm sure they will be. How relentless she seems to be fighting. I'm sure it's going to come back around, but it's just at what cost, you know? It's always that question, at what cost? But that is the new story number one. What are your thoughts, Shop a Certain, on Anita Baker's current battle? So first of all, I just want everyone to go to her Twitter page and look at her bio. It's hilarious. So it actually says... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Retired from the plantation 2020, return my masters 2021. Love heart, please. And I just like, I just, uh, she's just hilarious to me. And Anita's <laughs> one of my favorites because she's very active on Twitter. And she, people don't, wouldn't think so because, you know, she's obviously an old woman. She's not this generation, but she's very active on Twitter and she's very, um, very supportive of the younger generation. Like she loves her, she loves Beyonce, she loves Tiana Major, she loves a lot of the new artists, Legacy. Not, well, not new, but obviously artists that came after her. She's very supportive of artists that came after her. So I just love seeing her on Twitter. She's a joy to follow. She's very funny. But this really surprised me because I understand when you have these masters issues when they're still signed. But as Anira said, she's no longer signed anymore. She's completed her contractual obligations and she's semi-retired she's semi at this point. Um, like she does uh, the, the odd tour, the odd show here or there, but she's very much about living her life <laughs> and enjoying, you know, the fruits of her hard labor. You know, she's been in the industry for 40 plus years at this point. So, but what really, really got me was the left eye breakdown when she basically said that artists are literally making less than pennies from streams. And yeah like, literally this is this is crazy like spotify like artists this is why art and the title and apple music don't pay that much higher i mean it's higher but it's not that much higher you know yeah so like when you only think of someone like her who's obviously a legend like you know she has fans all over the world that love her music like i do and to think that she's not really benefiting from it especially at a time when you know, new people who are discovering her, they won't see her on TV or newspaper. They're going to have to go on the internet and Google her. And like, you know, we, we don't have the experience of music now. It's not tangible, physical anymore. We now, it's so digital, you know? And, and I'm sure she obviously is not, you know, hard up for cash. You know, I'm sure she's, you know, <laughs> invested very well all her riches over the years. But, you know, I do believe that, you know, she should be entitled to be getting um, a fair shot financially. And also, she just she should be entitled to do whatever she wants with her music because they're her, it's her music. It's her masters. She should be entitled to do what she wants with them and do what she pleases because she's not trying to... 
disenfranchise her fans. She wants her fans to always enjoy her music, but she just wants to, you know, get what is obviously owed her and is deserving to her. She's, you know, done what she's needed to do. So I am here for yeah. Nia applying energy and pressure <laughs> on her old record label. It'll probably be a long time coming before it's finally retrieved back to her. Because I know it's going to be a long, mm-hmm. tenuous legal battle because, you know, these labels, these corporations are greedy. And I just think it's disgusting that she's actually done her contractual obligations and they're still holding them back. Like, what more do you want from her? So those are my thoughts. It definitely just kind of shows how capitalist we are in every kind of stage of our being. You know, it, it just it frequents every kind of sector, it frequents every industry, it frequents every contract, even the the, the kind of concept of co- uh, contracts and proprietal rights and all of that kind of stuff. It speaks to us empowering and investing in capitalism, you know? So under capitalism, we are not people, we are tools, we are bargaining mm-hmm. chips, we are mm-hmm. m- m- monetary products. values, we are commodities, you know? All of that kind of stuff. So I think this is a modern day example. They're going to bleed you for every kind of penny or worth. Uh, they will hang your awards up or, or certifications in their offices, but still exploit you. And and this is a practice that has happened since, you know, the fifties, even before then, like artists have always been commodities. And as I always say, the music, this isn't just a free for all artistic kind of safe haven. This is a business, you know, and the business is the real anchor of, um, of, of kind of monetary gaining and and kind of that's what drives the business and commerce of music you know that's how we get cds that's how we get streams um or or playlists and all that kind of stuff they and radio play and all of that it's all to do with consumerism and and monetary gain somewhere whether it's advertising advertising spending between the songs on radio whether it's how many sales you sell on the how many how much of that percentage so it goes back to labels dsps um if it's streaming dsps um and then how many goes to kind of um distributors if it if it is kind of the physical cd still or the vinyl and it's all of this and more and then we go into licensing these songs for tv and except when you get played on the radio a small percentage of the music goes and money sorry goes back to the record label so it all is a complex interdependent kind of web of money gaining here for money gaining there to pay this to pay that to pay her to pay him to pay the songwriter to pay like it's all that kind of process and a mechanism and that's how the ecosystem works and there's even more back of house mechanics to 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 revenue streaming um and revenue gaining so um anita i wish you know she's not in her prime anymore so it's kind of like just let her go that's that's my thing if it was and I'm not saying I agree with this, but I kind of get why Scooter Braun and Taylor Swift is go, are going through their thing. I, I get it from a capitalist evil point of view, not from a human compassion point of view. Because if it was that, he wouldn't be doing this, you know. It's because she's one of the, the hottest artists in the world and he can cash in on that, which is why he's entrapping her discography. That mm-hmm. is why he's entrapping, you know, all of that, because there's still, Taylor Swift is a, look at the Grammys last week. She just, you know, and, you know, we'll get to that, but look at that, you know, there's still. But Anika's had her time. She's had her, she's still, had her run at the top. Yeah. A hundred percent. And she's, she's cognizant of that as well as, um, 
as well as the label are cognizant of that, as well as her manager, as well as old publicists and all of that. Like they know that it's essentially it's run its course. It's just um, greed at this point. Life cycle. This is greed in the case of Anita. yeah, hundred percent. There's a there's a hundred percent. There's a business life cycle, and once you reach your peak, then you go down into the trough point of view I'm, I'm forgetting the professional terms because it's been so many years since I studied it but after the peak is kind of you get the analogy it's kind of like you trough and then literally you're down to the final point and that's it they're only holding on now for the occasional radio play mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. licensing mm-hmm. for certain things because to be honest you know legacy acts do get licensed a lot in like in, in soundtracks and you know on certain documentaries and docuseries and stuff like that there, there's money to be made you know that's why syncing exists which are people who get the music for tv and, and stuff like that but in terms of that being what it would have been 20, um, 10, 15, et cetera, years ago, not the same at all, not the same, you know? And I think it's selfish at this point to do, still do that to an artist that, who's given so much, you know? Um, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame we just have crooks. Well, can I say crooks or should I say the system? Because really- It, it is both. Is, as I said, it's a symptom of the system. It's both, yeah, it's both. Because there there still are people who, and this is like juxtaposing words, but are trying to be ethical capitalist, quote unquote. You know, do it, do it to a point where it's harming the least amount of people, but still, you know what I mean? The system's still going to do what it does. But this is just pure greed, as shopping I just said before. It's, it's pure greed. At this I'm point. like, come on, like, calm the fuck on. Like, even, even not offering her like 60%, 70%, like, calm the fuck on. Like, there's no offer on the table. She has not even said that there's even negotiations at this point. She has to fully go through the back door of lawyers and all that kind of it stuff. It seems it's like, like they've just ignored her. They've ignored her requests. Mm-hmm. It seems like they've just blanked her. Exactly. That's yeah. what it seems like. And that's what a lot of artists are fighting. Once you don't sign for your masters, unfortunately, these people are going to just be like, well, contractually, we got that shit. And legally, to be honest, unless they back down, it's another fight. Yeah. It's another fight. And that fight might be lost, but I hope it's not, obviously. And she shouldn't have to be doing this when she's semi-retired. Like, you know, she's... For sure. She just it's turned 63. Like, let her, let her enjoy her mansion and her glass of wine and, and her Grammys. Let her enjoy yeah. her life. She's She's worked hard. Yeah. She's given us classics. She's given, as I just said, she's given so much. She's given so much. And it's kind of like... I, my hope is that because legal fees are so expensive, the label's just like, oh, forget it. Let's just give her the money. Do you know what I mean? But, I they, but labels have money for case, that, though. That's but... the thing. They're so, they're so... I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> they have so much audacity. But I hope, I they, hope they, they just They would like... rather waste money on legal yeah. fees than just give Nita her master. Because this is the thing. Even when artists own their masters, the label still has some rights. They're still going to get some residue checks and residue money from anything Something. that... Yeah, that comes from it's like you know Sierra recently got all her masters back a few years ago, so yeah. even though she's a complete control because these albums are still licensed to her old label, wh- whatever she does with them, her ex label will still get some money from it. They're still going to get a check from whatever Sierra decides to do with her music because they're still under her label's licensing. Honestly, um, I feel like it's so selfish because as you just said, the licensing stuff will still come, but they'll still generate, they'll still be able to generate something, you know? So I just want Anita to not fight 
it is stress inducing at this point you know when you have to fight all this stuff and go into courtrooms and all of that so yeah all I can hope is fingers crossed and I thank her for being so open because it's processes like this that kind of just allow um consumers and fans to kind of just gauge when to stream versus when not to stream because mm. she's not getting paid for this guys and if you want to be an ethical fan or an ethical listener or just a more cognizant maybe not ethical that is the right term but just a more cognizant listener um you know, Taylor's told us not to play for some things, you know, and now Anita Baker and there's, there's been a plethora of other eyes, you know, Prince was highly against streaming platforms. I know he was pro title, but, you know. And even then, two, Prince's family um, snaked him. Others, other others that existed. Prince's family snaked mm. him because what happened exactly. when Prince died, they put all his music on Spotify and Apple Music. <laughs> because of corporate, corporate Because of money. And that's what it is. This is what I'm saying. And I, the biz, this is what I'm saying. The business will leak itself into everything. everything. Even if an artist has their artistic integrity, like a Prince. Prince was one of the, one of the biggest examples of artistic integrity that I can think of, um, both dead or alive. And as Strope just said, they still ended up putting his, you know, I could search around. Because right it's the there. thing, like, you know, in the case of Prince. Play whatever we want to. And I don't have title right now. In so. the case of Prince, it was extremely well documented that this man did not want his music on any platforms other than title. But the moment he died, his family's like, okay, Spotify, here you he go. He pretty much said it everywhere. Pandora, here you go. So now all his music, all 37 of his albums are available everywhere. <laughs> and I knew it was bad yeah. when it just goes it just completely his music is now on YouTube because I remember years and years and years ago years ago when I was first <laughs> getting into Prince oh god when I was first getting into to Prince I was so shocked that none of his music was online I was like wow I'm not even on YouTube but now you can go on YouTube, YouTube I remember now. that I go, remember that you can too. go on YouTube now type in your favourite Prince song it'll be there because his label and his family yeah they've rescinded his wishes this is what I'm saying whenever people whenever people die it's kind of like this back and forth always and morals get thrown off the table and stuff like that but all i can say is in this case i really hope that she's not having to fight you know it's a shame so yeah i just hope anita is okay and i hope that she can not have to fight anymore because this is this is really bad like in terms of news i just really wish her the best but we will move on again. I think this is a pretty kind of weird week in music, um, but I'm just interested in this next story um, and it involves uh, Keisha Cole, actually. Um, so she has said that she is retiring, um, essentially. Um so obviously she took to Twitter on Wednesday. So Wednesday last week. I know it's almost Wednesday again, guys, but yeah, last week. Um so she responded uh, and shared the news of retirement while responding to some tweets, a lot of Twitter this week, um, from fans, one of which that reminded her to stay focused. So she simply commented, um, I'm retiring. Um, it's really interesting, actually, because she was recently on Versus with Ashanti uh, just weeks ago, literally. Um, <clears throat> and she was apparently working on her eighth studio album. So fans obviously were confused and just the music industry at large. Um, so people assumed that she was trolling, you know, or putting on some kind of prank. I know it's not April yet, folks, couple weeks, but um, yeah, people assume that. Uh, but she made it clear that she's not joking. She said, I'm not lying. 
um, you'll always think I'm being hot. Uh, and she said her children were the cause of her decision, a big, a big priority in her decision. Um, but yeah, um, many fans were disappointed and confused and worried about this because of the eighth studio album and everything that she was working on. But um, the eighth studio album was still, is, is still, sorry, at present in the works and will be released at her own pace. Um, I'm already contracted to do so. As I said, music business is a business, you know. Um, I wouldn't do that to BMG myself or my fans. So the album is contractually still going to come out. But um, apparently, um, Keisha Cole's retiring. That is the second bit of news. And I would love to get Shopee's opinions on this this matter matter at hand um yeah it was quite surprising for me um because like you know like you said she's done a versus recently she put out a, a new single a few weeks ago which is really good by the way we didn't actually discuss it on the show but it's called um let me find it actually i really liked it actually it's called um i don't want to be in love and i really liked it because i felt like it was one of her strongest singles in years because we haven't i don't think we've ever discussed it before but i'm a massive kisha cole fan like those first five albums the first five albums, the the way it is, just like you, a different me, calling all hearts, woman to woman. She's great, and I feel like in the social media landscape, she does not really get her flowers because she arguably was. Some may say a big statement, but she was the marriage oblige of our generation. And I mean that to say that she was a, a massive force in R&B, but she wasn't a crossover force. So she wasn't a Sierra or Rihanna or Beyonce, but in the R&B world, in the, you know, the black community, if you want to use those terms, she was a hit maker. Like, like check the receipts, multiple number one singles, top 10 singles, Grammy nominations, multi-platinum albums. Like people, people really like play her on Twitter and social media. They act like she's like not done anything. Like, She's done a lot. She's had a great career. And she has a great catalogue, if you go back and look. like, And um, so I, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of hers. And I was really excited for this album, and I still am, because like I said, this new single, it's her strongest in a long time, because the last two albums weren't really for me. But, um, so, you know, I'm really sad about that. And, and I feel like she still has, I feel like she has more to give, because she's the kind of person I feel that her perspective on love and heartbreak is something that gets better with, you know, with time and it's like a fine wine. She's always been a very mature artist, you know, like I said, she comes from that marriage oblige ilk, Faith Evans ilk, you know what I mean? And we don't really have too many of those today. Like, you know, we have, you know, we have like, you know, the Kama show and we have like a Latoya Luckett and those kind of things, but, and the Fantasia, of course, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so like, I just, you know, Obviously, she wants to, you know, focus more on motherhood. And, you know, why not? Like, you know, she's put in her time. She's been here 16, 17 years at this point. And if that's what she wants to do, I personally don't believe her. What I probably think will happen, she'll always take an extended break. That's probably what I think. I don't think she'll leave. I think she'll probably just... I just think after this album, it'll probably be a while before the album after. That's what I think. I think it'll probably just be a long time before the next album. I don't think she will truly retire I don't think. So those are my thoughts, but I just want to use this time for all of you to put some respect on her name. Like I know the Beehive out there, you're mad because she came for Beyonce and Michelle at Super Bowl eight years ago. Get over it. The music is good. <laughs> I remember this. Now, oh shit. It. 
Because that's, that's where it's come from. After that happened, it's like the the perception of her was like she was like some next failed singer as if she hasn't as if she got a stacked catalogue. Like And a hater. Yeah. People were framing it as if she And it's fine for her to do that, but like, I just didn't like how people were trying to act like she was like she hadn't done anything for R and B. Like like she was like she wasn't um one of the main mm-hmm. girls in the mid two thousands. Like, <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. And do you know what? Like, I get that she's a, as you've just said, a Mary J. Blige, Faith Evans kind of child, you know, protege child, like unofficial protege as well. And I agree in your perception, even though you know, you know me and Mary, you know me and Mary, but I get it. You know me and Mary. You know me and Mary. I love Mary. No, 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 100%. But I was just saying, you know I love Mary as well. Like, But in terms of the comparison, completely makes sense. It's the same genre. It's the same style. Yeah, Keisha is definitely a child of Mary. Passion, you know, passion in the same visuals. And she would say that herself. You know, I think she has, you know. Um, But in terms of the, yeah, you know, anyone who knows hip-hop knows Jay-Z has been (laughs) retired technically for like 15 years now. But... um. He always comes back. Always an album. Always starting. So we know the artists always say they're retired. You know, Nikki's done it before. She'll be back, I'm sure, with another project soon. You know, artists do this all the time now. Um, they hint at retiring, then they don't. And, you know, and it's people change their mind all the time. And people can change their mind all the time, especially with so many career avenues available to them And number two, in this in this kind of contemporary space. And then number two, so many ways to make an album. I mean, Jay-Z did one in collaboration with Samsung for the, the rollout and stuff. Uh, Magna Carta, that was a Samsung-related one. You can do one based on your contractual agreements, which is why she will still release her eighth album, Cole, and you can you can do one independently now like more, more and it can be more of a um impact kind of release tiger did his with empire like in the last couple of years um before he signed to columbia again um as in signing to a major imprint again but um yeah i think there's so many ways to do an album and on your own terms so i think that she'll be able to find a way to to still record and even if it's not an album maybe like some projects you know singles here and there after the eighth album but she'll do it on her own terms i think you know even if it's like collaborations etc etc um she's still quite young so there's there's um more revenue to be made you know and and more just more fan experiences and more shows to probably do that she'll probably want to reconnect with in the future after she's had that time to focus on her motherhood as she kind of stated was one of the primary reasons so yeah she's very talented very talented singer and has inspired so many even uh, you know a Shell's probably inspired by her uh there's so a uh, Latoya like Chope just kind of said Latoya probably took influence as well even though Latoya grew up in the uh, earlier but like now where she's at now as an artist as well um I think, and Scissor is a massive Keisha Cole fan. Like some, a lot of these new girls go up for Keisha Cole. And the thing is, why not? Because as Shope said, she was one of the primary forces in the early two thousands on an MTV base, on a one hundred six and Park, on all of these platforms. Keisha was there, interviewed, yes, visuals, yes. singles. 
Like I'm, I'm sorry. Heaven sent, and I remember Ryan Ronald Sixon Park. You can't tell me different. <laughs> I've, that's what I'm saying. Like I, I vividly remember interviews there. Some when she was doing the staying phase, and sometimes she was like just getting the crowd really excited and performing and stuff like that. Like definitely she's got a strong character as well and then even her transition into reality tv show she was one of the most dominant forces and one of the first actually yeah one of the first like i know around the time um either just before or after like little kim's um countdown to lockdown show yes throwback keisha came out with her show and it dominated for it dominated for a generation to be honest with you like multiple series multiple successes on there and it actually helped to sustain her career in some ways as well um so it was a good it was a it show that was a kind of good pivot mm-hmm, as well mm-hmm. so um yeah why would she not influence the, the Kalani's another one Kalani has said now. many times oh and you can hear you can see and hear in Kalani you can see and hear literally you can see it like and hear and they're both the from Oakland so the runs yeah literally um in terms of that personality trait that that's from that area and that rawness kind of approach to r&b that both of them possess you can see the synergy there as well um even though kalani's um would probably be considered a softer approach but still when kalani has her times and her vocal is the perfect one for it to really hit those kind of passionate runs and her perspective on love as shope pointed out with keisha um I think she probably draws from a Keisha Cole kind of cauldron, you know, and I'm glad that the lineage is still being continued of that passionate vocalist who, you know, discusses love and relationships in that capacity. Cause I think it's, it's, it's a, de- it would be a detriment to miss out on that, you know? So I wish Keisha the success and I hope she gets the time to just take a break because everyone needs to take a break and comes back feeling rejuvenated because she, yeah man like who wouldn't want to see where she's at now and i need to go check that single out just to see how it sounds it's but honestly Shopee's giving it it's good one praise. of her strongest singles in, in quite a long time <laughs> come on for sure it's a very good song and that's good and i think r&b can exist in so many different pockets um you can have the jazz kind of melding of a tiana major nine you can have the keisha cole mary j blige you know hip hop mm-hmm. soul kind of approach to it you can have the new wave of um talent uh scissor would fit into that pocket as well quite well you can have the rockier elements yes. of Rose james yes. and Miguel, you know a yes. prince lineage of it and i think keisha blend of R&B um, is perfect to still kind of be reinvigorated and still exist here and you know um, as we kind of mentioned we mentioned K. Michelle before K. Michelle's been able to do that and have a, a, an e- not an equally but a successful run as well and really solid albums you know um, and I know she's venturing into country a little bit now which will be really great to actually kind of hear I think her vocal with the yodeling for one is going to be great but um I think that the brand of soul, hip-hop, R&B that Mary, Keisha, etc. have continued Mm. to faith, you know, have continued to kind of hold through and push through Fantasia um, should continue. And I think there's a space for it to continue. Tamar Braxton even, in more recent years. Yeah, and Tamar Braxton's last album was good for me, personally. I played it. It's, she has great yeah. music. She's, she's, she's a mess, but she has great music. She's, t- she's an artist. She's an artist. <laughs> when she gets in the booth, let's put it. She, and she's been trained to be an artist, you know. Her family have been trained to be artists, you know. And it's, you know, I think 
it's it's just going to be really interesting to hear this eighth album, you know, and to kind of see if she's able to kind of, maybe when lockdown opens up and she performs again, maybe she'll get the love for it to continue. But um, I get it, family duties, you know, we all, the, the creative um, or cultural or musical kind of um, work is demanding, whatever role you play in it. And I know sometimes you just want to, you know, take a step back. So I wish her every success in that. It's not, she's given the world enough if it is her last. Eight, come on, eight. That's discography. Come on, you've got, you've got, you've got- Over 17 years. Catalog, as Shopee likes to say, you've got catalog, you know? And we're in 2021. It's been a very long career. If you think about it, I know it feels like the 2000s were yesterday, but it was a long time ago now. So well done to us for continuing to even get to this point you know, big claps for that. Cause I know it's been a topsy turvy with her personal life and all the transitions that have happened throughout. Um, even the reality show picked some of that up, but, um, she's, she's been relentless. That's one word I'll give her. She's been relentless to get to this stage and, you know, still be in conversation with things like verses, with things like fans, with, with things like music, musicality still, you know, still having the chops to get in the booth and do it. So Keisha, we'll see you we'll be seeing you you know and we will play that eighth studio album as well when it drops so i'm excited for that to be honest with you i am and i just wish i had the success in her personal life as well and the uh and the fulfillment the fulfillment that she wants to leave music for um but yeah that's that's the second one um the third news item um is one that i'm divesting from <laughs> but um, you already you already know my thoughts um the grammy awards i don't even know why we're doing <laughs> this but i guess it's tradition at this point i really guess it's tradition i didn't put it on the agenda just to let you guys know a bit of background information shoppe does the agendas most weeks unless me and eden feed in but um obviously it's a tradition and we've done it for the last five seasons so i guess we'll give you some of our spicy takes for what happened i mean i didn't watch the show I'll let you know that I didn't watch the show and I'm sure Shoppy didn't either, but nope. um, uh, there were moments that uh, dominated social media, I guess. I know that Cardi's been having a hard week with, well, not a hard week, a laughable week with an extension of what happened last summer when she released uh, WAP with Meg, Megan Thee Stallion, that is. And um, yeah, just Fox going crazy, conservatives going crazy, rockers going crazy, news pundits going crazy beyond fox um yeah so i know that some this is my point some of the grammys news is going to reach us you know as number one music enthusiast and number two um people who watch the news online you know i don't watch it conventionally on tv like but you know online you know news reaches twitter's a news app you know and you know me i'm on twitter every day so you know that um i saw some of the stuff but we will um first of all actually what what were your general thoughts from stuff you saw this week let's just start there. that's what i was gonna say because yeah, i know we usually go through like each category but i don't think any of us care enough this year so i think yeah, yeah. like i just wanted to start structurally let's just do a general thought i think let's just talk so do you want to go first no i want you to i want you because i because i <laughs> you know i feel like i talk on twitter a lot you talk on twitter a lot so let's just Let's do it. You, I want you okay. to start. Go on. So these are just my general off-the-cuff random thoughts. So I'm going to start <laughs> off with... Um, I only watched two of the performances. 
actually three. I watched three of the performances. The best performance of the night was hands down. Bruno and Anderson leave the door open. Just, I just want to say this now that regardless of whatever your opinions are on Bruno Mars and the whole cultural preparation thing, I just want you all to, all you Nicknogs out there to know that in the mainstream world, no man is out singing Bruno Mars. That man's voice is unparalleled. In terms of mainstream, the mainstream pop stars we have in this generation, mainstream. no one's seeing Bruno. I hear you. No one's seeing Bruno. I hear you. Bruno is an enormously talented artist, musician, but his vocals were just on another level, this performance. I was just like, sing, 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 sing. And I loved the song. Anderson was amazing too. And it's just such, it's just so great to see them together. Because I think they complement each other so well, even though they're such different artists. And on, I'm so happy that Anderson's having this moment because Anderson's someone that I've been rocking with for like six years. And I know this is going to bring so much visibility to his career. Like that's what people are now finally going to understand why he is mm-hmm. hands down one of them. He's like, a, a, in some ways, a hidden gem. Because even though, if you're a fan, you know, but I feel like Anderson in the mainstream conversations isn't really spoken about much, but I'm really happy that Anderson's going to have this time. And I'm looking forward to the album. And after this um, Pants and Conditioner, when they do t- do a tour, I definitely have to be there. Because I've seen Anderson alone. I've never seen Bruno. So to see them together, I just know it's going to be a show. Real artistry, musicianship, good songs. And now there's rumours that Victoria Menet and her own the album. So, like, I'm just, yeah. So, great performance from them. Megan and Cardi, meh. <laughs> a very meh performance. But, you know, it was nice to see them together. Doja Cat, you were great, but I just didn't know why you performed Say So for the 70th time. Like, <laughs> I feel like it was a Grammy instruction, personally. I feel like, personally, she's tired, but you know how the Grammys intervene. Ariana's spoken about it in the past. Um, I feel like they probably were like, yeah, this is the song, this is what anyone cares about. So. But, and that's fine, but I said on Twitter that I would at least rather she did a medley it's like you know do like the first minute of streets then go to say yeah. so like yeah because streets yeah. has been my favorite song on the album from day from day same and the fact that it's starting to blow up and do well like, i think it's gonna go top 10 and billboard next week i just wanted streets to have that extra promotional push mm. but she was great though doja we don't as people know she's a great performer great great performer incredible performer so so talented and let's just even go into that i am very surprised she won nothing I'm very surprised she didn't win anything. Um, but then someone said on Twitter that it's probably because of the Dr. Luke situation. So if she won something, Dr. Luke would have won. So there would have been those politics. So I'm like, mm, okay, fair enough. Um, so let me just look here. Um, Record of the Year, don't care about. Album of the Year, don't care. Um, so, oh, yeah, so Song of the Year. <sighs> oh. Um, so. Okay. <laughs> song of the Year. The winner of that was um, her. her for a song called I Can't Breathe. And I was just flabbergasted that it won. Because if you guys remember when we, re- when we reviewed the nominations, I was extremely confused that she was even nominated. <laughs> but I woke up the next morning to see she's won. I'm like, oh. So a song that, and this is no shade because it's the facts. A song that no one outside her fan group has heard is Song of the Year. It won over... The Box by Roddy Rich. It won over Post Malone. And I'm not saying I like these songs, by the way, but the point of the matter is these are songs that clearly were bigger, had more impact, and were more entrenched in pop culture this last year. Dua Lipa, Billie Eilish, 
I can't breathe. Sorry, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, this award was paid for. This award was um, industry finessed. I'm sorry. And, and it just reminds me of what Nick said a few weeks ago when her popped up during D'Angelo's verses. Her is literally becoming like an ad. It's, <laughs> she's just like a Twitter ad at this point. No, do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? I feel like when, when I get- And we love her, by the way. A little more. We love her. Oh yeah, 100 to 10%. I think what it is, it's a combination of different factors. You know, we know we now know officially that the Grammys love her. She's the perfect fit for what they want to brand R&B as in the future and whatever. And like- uh, the next legacy act or whatever like that they're grooming her to be and helping the industry to groom her to be she's very talented and I think her artistic chops will lead her to that path anyway but I think she's become the industry moment I don't know what politics there is to that maybe it's just they like the project and talent and have just taken her on their wings and have got a Lauren Hill feel from the last project that she released um I don't know what it is but it's artificial yeah it feels it feels no 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 no. I'm not saying that I agree with this I'm just saying I'm giving clarification but I think the reason that she won this year is that that's number one and number two the BLM agenda that we are on in popular culture (laughs) right now and that is a fact because when we get to little baby's performance I've got some words to say oh basically when what I'm gonna say is that protest language is being co-opted you know i can't breathe is not just existent from george floyd let's go back a bit there were people that's last words in the movement that were i can't breathe so why this is this year this is what i was exactly what i'm thinking about eric garner um we are in blm i hate that acronym but blm um it's been acronized our our movement and it's now in a marketing quirky uh performative capitalist um kind of co-opted that's the word co-opted phase now where every public outlet because they can cash in on these revelation revelation revolutionary sorry movement rhetoric um they are doing that you know, you can gain money from it, Walmart, you can kind of cash in, you can get these artists to perform and show liberation aesthetics. Um, literally when organisers on the ground in all of the states and even in England as well are dying and are being defunded themselves and all of this. So for me, her, I Can't Breathe, this commercial song which is co-opted protest language. I don't know if the proceeds are going to any of these vent- these these movements and these leaders. And I don't mean Black Lives Matter because there's issues with the Black Lives Matter, the actual organisation, which I'm not going to get into here. But what I'm saying is, is any of the proceeds going to people on the ground? I don't know, you know? So, you know... And the thing is, I d- so I say this to say, I don't dislike I Can't Breathe, by the way. I like this song. It's a good song. But I just think it's very, it's asinine that it, it is now a Grammy Award winning song. It's, <laughs> it's getting just, weird. It's ridiculous. You know, I am happy for uh, Tiara Thomas. She's been working for years. Yes. I love her. Yes, and she's as a songwriter. All, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think she's paid her dues as a writer and I think it's time for some spotlight. As I said, you know my thoughts on Grammys, but I just know materialism-wise, this is going to give her her jobs for the next few years. This is going to help um, empower... I'm not saying her, that her talent would not land her jobs, but the the um, 
the monetary value of these jobs and the recognition and kind of the name appeal will get her higher value jobs and her 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 rates will go up so her standard of living will go up as an artist this is from an artist perspective artist who sees another artist i'm like i respect it and i hope she continues to thrive as a a darker skinned black woman in the music industry i hope she continues mm-hmm. to thrive and she's so talented i saw her at her concert she opened for her um and she's talented, you know, so I really hope she, in all facets of her career, can grow. Um, and she will, you know, she's got a Grammy now, so it's great. But um, for her, in terms of the materialism and how they see it. But with this song, you know, it was a forced protest song. It was a forced this, it was a forced <laughs> that. And it's very much like co-opted capitalist protesting not as in protests on the ground but as in like aesthetics it kind of gives me pepsi commercial kendall jenner that vibe that is where we're going with all of this and it's um it's a shocking sight to really see but every single thing that we do gets commercialized you know black lives matter is even getting black twitter it's getting commercialized do you know what i mean like all every black commodity every black american commodity right now as well is getting co-opted so with this song winning this was definitely giving blm and it was giving we love her blm fits <laughs> the agendas fit we're in black lives matter phase two let's look like we're doing the right thing um and then we can give the the record of the year to Billie eilish you know that's what you know and this is this is what this is what's going on this is what's going on but i will let shoppe finish his thoughts but i just wanted to interject with the her commentary yes. there because i think it's important to just contextualize yes it. but we love her yes. you know essence festival we love and her. this isn't me saying but for the sake of it genuinely shoppe knows we met for the first time unknowingly knowing that we would be podcasters together we met at that concert so we were both there and we both yes. respect her like she's a talent she's so talented as a, and we uh, like the song mm-hmm. we like the song <laughs> the song is good it's just it's not it's but yeah, anyway. uh, yeah it's weird it's weird it's just weird it's, t- it's weird in it terms of what happened of the year. you know but <laughs> yeah sorry continue <laughs> thoughts 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 but anywho so megan the stallion won three awards and i felt all of them were very deserved best new artist <clears> best rap song best rap performance i didn't have any issue with that i think there was some misogynistic language when she won stay mad i'm sorry she's had an amazing two years at this point who else like i feel like she was very deserving of those awards savage was a massive song last year it was a cultural moment so i had no issues with that um shout out to my guy kirchnada kirchnada mm-hmm. he won his first two grammys for best dance recording and best dance electronic album which by the way the grammys are are ridiculous i cannot believe he is the first black artist to win in this category when this is literally something that we created our culture created Black communities in Chicago and DC created dance music and house music. Mm-hmm. And it's and only Detroit. now that a Black artist is winning. It's, yes, Detroit, definitely. And yeah, and I love Bubba. Love, love, love that album. So well, well deserved. So happy for him. I've been following Kitchenada since like 2010 on SoundCloud. So just see where he's come and how he's grown. I'm so happy for him. Shout out to Disclosure. They were nominated too. They didn't win, but Disclosure were nominated. Great album um want to shout out um, my alternative faves fiona apple and Brittany howard they won the best rock performance and best rock song those were great albums by the way i didn't talk about them on the show but fiona apple's one of my favorite white women love her her album fetch the bowl cutters i think nick has heard it wasn't it? a phenomenal album really good phenomenal really, album. really 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 phenomenal good. album 
And Brittany Howard is my girl too. She is the lead singer of the Alabama Shakes, if you didn't know, which released her first solo album in 2019 called Jamie. And that is also, if you love blues, rock, experimental, it's like Neo Sobo with more of a rock edge. Her album was really good, guys. We didn't discuss it, but I love her. So shout out to my alternative faves, Brittany and Fiona. Um, okay, the R&B categories were very somehow. <laughs> very, very somehow. Um... Beyonce, you're my girl. You know I love you. Black Parade, I don't know why you won, but whatever. And I know that she's now the most awarded woman in Grammy history. And you know, that is an amazing achievement. Like, like I said, you know I'm Beehive till the day, till, the, till I die. But I don't like that you have this uh, honor, but you still have no wins in the general categories. And that's very shameless. Sorry, very shameful. But, you know, shout out to you. I know she won for Best Music Video, which was deserved for Brown Skin Girl, but Best Rhyme Performance, it's a no from me. Um, oh, they got one thing right. I said it. I said it here. And I'm going to round up now because there's Nick still has to give his thoughts. But I'll start end it here. But um, let us see one Best Traditional Army Performance. And I said it. I said it. That award is hers. I don't care. I said, if she doesn't win, I will fight and all right. So I said, that woman deserves this award. That is her award. And she won. And it's just disgraceful that it was her first ever Grammy after so many years. I can't believe that was her first Grammy. Oh, and Nas won his first Grammy after 27 years for an album that's not even close to his best work. So (laughs) he won for, for King's Disease. And I like that album. Nick knows. I like that album. I thought it was definitely an improvement over his last couple albums, but how is Nas only winning his first Grammy now? Nas. Nas. This nigga has buffed, like, so many people we have today, and he's only winning his first Grammy now. For an album that is not even in his top five. It's a good album, but it's not even amongst Nas' greatest work, and he's now winning a Grammy for it. And best R&B album, John Legend, you didn't deserve this award, I'm sorry. I'm just... This album, Big Love, like, I love you, but it, it wasn't your best work. That award belongs to Luke James and Giving On. But John Legend is another Grammy favourite. The committee likes him. He'll show up. They'll give him anything. And like I said, I love John, but this album wasn't deserving. And Chloe and Halle were snubbed. That upset me. But you guys, you guys are going to just keep going because you're growing and progressing each year. I'm so excited for where they're going to go artistically, visually. These girls, regardless of what happens, these girls are here to stay. But I was disappointed that they didn't win anything. And my last thoughts, so shout out to Thundercat. He won for Best Progressive R&B Album. And I loved his album. Thundercat is my nigga. So, yeah. Nick, your thoughts? Um, God, like, how do you follow that up? <laughs> like, so many, so many, um, so many insightful takes. I think that um first of all yeah megan definitely deserved like the awards for the categories um i think that yeah the beyonce moment felt performative like how (laughs) i saw some clips i didn't watch i couldn't like i didn't get the full context but i think megan just had won something and then they were walking off stage and then they announced it so that was interesting to say the least like how they announced it and i think beyonce's reaction said it all um in terms of god nas um this again Kate and nas i'll put them in the same thing i think it kind of just points to the fact that Kate and being the first um in that particular genre 
um, dancing lead electronic, and then Nas being his first ever <laughs> Grammy. Um, the legendary Nas. It speaks to the fact that I don't need to give a fuck about the Grammy. It, it just speaks to the fuck. They don't, they're late. They don't get it. They don't know what's going on. And number three, I just think that, you know, despite being late and not getting what's going on, I just think fundamentally it's just racist. Like it is just the rate. And I hate like to have to say it about pretty much everything in life, but it just is racist. Like it fundamentally is going to be that. And, you know, I think our friend of the podcast, Tara, even wrote the fact that, you know, this infamous Macklemore Kendrick situation, a modern day example of historical injustice across the the Grammys, is kind of like proof that this is political. Um, why Nicki Minaj, for example, has not won a Grammy yet? Um, it, I just can't take them seriously anymore. Like, do you know what I mean? I just can't personally. Like, I just can't take it seriously like i just look at it as like okay like a smiley sticker like okay congrats like do you know what i mean and obviously i've spoken about the monetary value you know victoria monet for example has arguably built her career so much um over the last few years and obviously the talent sheer talent five months pregnant doing the live performance set like what crazy but, oh my um, god she wasn't nominated i just realized of, i seen this how is she not nominated yeah no but in terms of no 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 not it wasn't even about nominations it's the fact that she was included in ariana's wins for a lot of things like so she for example would have benefited from that as a writer in the back of house kind of politics of things so i know that she's you know as that's why i commented on you know tiara thomas like um with her i think that that's going to happen with her but um personally i just beyond the monetary and streaming and uh, physical uh purchasing power that 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 has and still continues to have on artists i just am in a space of not taking them seriously like i just can't like how you just can't you can't like you just you fundamentally can't like kate Renard being the fact there should be a long lineage there should be a long lineage. Nas, there should be a long list of awards, you know, um, or, you know, significant kind of tributes to him and stuff like that. There should just be a lot of, it's just very archaic and very old school and just not quite the institutional power that it had before for me um, in terms of it performance-wise. Doja killed it obviously Doja is made to be on a stage made like crafted to be on a stage like that is where she really just ascends into greatness like I love I love her personality I love everything about her and um it's 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 amazing to watch her become a pop star because that's what she exactly is becoming a pop star who raps as well um yeah huge force people should be watching her because she's she's very carefully building the blocks to a long career in my opinion a long career mm -hmm. um, if she so chooses because she she really she really strikes me as a person who could drop it all tomorrow and say fuck it man i'm gonna do what i do and just become a travel blogger or something like she's got a very um sporadic form of creation which helps her but then could also be like i don't want to do this anymore do you know what i mean she's very much on her own terms so i'm 
intrigued to see where she goes. I just hope when the contract runs out, we get her away from Dr. Luke and it'll be great. <laughs> you know, we can get Damn somewhere right. else. But um, that is the personal politics. You know, I will always address the personal politics with people I love, J. Cole, Kendrick, all sorts, which, well, you know, Kendrick might come for you for a little bit in a minute. But um, Bruno Mars, um, great performance as Chope kind of highlighted. However, however, great singer, great everything um there's nothing really to say in terms of his skill level he proved it at the super bowl he's proven it on multiple youtube performances that i've watched over the years and now he's proven it on one of the biggest stages in music you know so super talented but my thing is my thing is and i know shoppe will see it even if he doesn't agree in his mind but he'll see what i mean basically when i watch bruno perform I can't shake the feeling that I am watching an impersonation of something else. And I know that Chope will get it. I know he'll get it. Like, it just very much gives me multiple eras in music. Um, And I know that, you know, inspiration informs everything whether it's my articles, whether it's Chopin's articles, whether it's my biographies, whether it's da-da-da, everything inspires everything. You know, we're all going to take influence from something. But for me, I just feel like those, even from the staging, from, it just felt very Motown, you know, um, in some parts. And I, I don't know, sometimes I feel like it just needs to be stripped back a little bit so I can see who Bruno really is. Um, I think that's my biggest critique about him that I don't feel who he is in his music it's more a performance of something that is my biggest critique from him Um, tell me if you agree or get it I do get it but I think for me is that with his first two album errors Do Robson Hooligans and Orthodox Jukebox you definitely saw who he was as a performer and i still and i still stand by the yes, fact that yes yes i still yes. stand by the fact that bruno is not an appropriate i still stand by that he's not an appropriate now. but i do concede your point that, that as much as i love him that his perf- no those first two albums which is what i was going to get to completely agree with you that was bruno and that was more of a you know pop in some places leaning sound and i think from after those two albums it's felt very let's pick a theme and let's tick the boxes from a theme yeah of an era, a particular yeah era. and the thing is, and you the know thing what is, i mean even this wig now yeah and i agree on that because the thing is my thing is musically it's i don't think it's outrageous or a shock because as someone who's been a fan of him from day one yeah it's clear that bruno is a is a is has studied soul and r&b like it's clear as day that he is heavy inspired. Sure. But I do agree with the aesthetic that sometimes, even though I love him and I don't think it's appropriate, I do think that the way his performance is and the look can be a bit caricaturist and a bit a bit um costume shop-esque, if that makes sense. But so I do see, I do see, I do understand. Thank that. you. I'm glad you've I'm glad you've been able to see it, just because I didn't want to be like it's unfair. For me, in terms of the cultural appropriation argument, it's not that I um, agree with it fully because the Black artists, we've kind of done a dissemination of this on here. Um, 
I feel Bruno's like always has always it's... he's always given credit. He's always given credit from day. Yeah, no, he has, he has, he has, he has a hundred percent. I think it's more the business angle of how what he's doing. I think it's more you don't have the thing is for me because he's not black, right? In any way, shape, or form, it's for me he gets exoticized. So when he does anything that black people have been doing for years the reaction is going to be 10 times bigger because of who he is and how he looks and featurism, aesthetics, all of that. So when he does these these costume shop-esque performances, like Chope has said, and I have said, my mother crux of my point and Chope has co-signed, you know, it gets magnified as this amazing, alluring thing. When I've seen that, I've seen that in Motown in the theatre. I've seen that in Motown visuals. I've seen that in whether the the era is the era before. I've seen that in New Jack Swing, you know, and I've seen the performances and what he's done before, what other people, his, the forefathers of those genres have, um, have done. So for me, I just wish that the playing field was fair game so that other people could get that same allure of, oh my God, they're re-bringing back, they're repackaging, they're repurposing. Um, Because that is, I don't think it's necessarily an appropriation thing. What I do think it is, is a systemic form of oppression, which allows one person to benefit yeah. from something that another group have been doing for. So in my personal politic isn't, to say that Bruno can't do what he wants to do and all that kind of thing. My personal politic is with the way that structural oppression works and wielding power based on how people look and all of that and consumption of music based on those parameters and success coming from those parameters for it. So that was just my thing on Bruno. So those were my general thoughts on the Grammys, but we are going to have to get into our interview now. So we're going to cut it short here. And we're going to segue into our our interview portion. We are back. And now we have an in-depth interview with Yao Owusu, who is the senior manager at Power Up, which is a new initiative tackling anti-Black racism and racial disparities within the UK music industry. So welcome to the show, Yao. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you very much. All good. We're good. We're very excited to have you on. So... Me and Nick are going to like go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I guess, you know, just let's just start nice and easy. So <laughs> what is Power Up? Why is there a Power Up? Uh, what is it? Well, Let us know. Power Up is an initiative that's been um, started and is managed by PRS Foundation. Um, and essentially, it, like you said before, it's, it's here to tackle anti-black racism and racial disparity in the UK music industry. And the why is, is you know, a long list of things. Do you know what I mean? You know, there's a lot of statistical evidence in terms of how black people are being treated in the UK music industry, whether they are performers or they are working in, in I wouldn't say behind the scenes, but you know, in industry professional roles throughout throughout the um the music industry. And then there's there's a million stories of of experiences as well. Um and we're just at this I think we're at this pivotal pivotal place in time where People are just saying enough's enough. Do you know what I mean? Something's got to change. Something something large. There's got to be a, a proper change and there's got to be sustained change. Do you know what I mean? And, and 
And it's only based on what's due. Do you know what I mean? This is all about reflection of contribution, I think. I think some people, um, you know, on the on the on the, the naysayers side of things will go, what do you mean? Or oh, complaining again or asking again, you know what I mean? And there's those people out there, there's, you know, <laughs> there's loud racists out there, do you know what I mean? Who just go, what the hell? <laughs> but like, it, it, you know, or, you know, you, you find on the other side, there's, there's other people who, who are underrepresented who say, well, what about us? And, and I think the thing with us focusing on on black, you know, black people in the UK music industry is because we've contributed so much, yeah, so much to, to music, music culture, popular culture, culture in general. And it's almost mm. like, let's, let's reflect that fairly. Let's, you know, equitable reflection mm. is, is this kind of what this is about. Do you know what I mean? Fair opportunities based on merit. You know, we're not saying let's power up individuals just because they're black. We're saying who are the individuals who are hitting glass ceilings and deserve a fair shot? What are the systems in place that are stopping these people having a fair shot and contributing? Because fundamentally, if these people, whether they're creators, whether they're industry professionals, get a fair shot, this makes it better for everyone. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's mm. not about taking people out who deserve to be up there. We're talking about putting people in who deserve to be up there, do you know what I mean, in whatever realm. And I think that's that's kind of the the critical part of, I, I suppose, you know, one main part of of Power Up. And then the other, and, you know, the, the co-founders, Ben and Joe Franklin, will, um, you know, can attest to this, is like making people accountable because on the back of George Floyd and on, on the, you know, right in the midst of the, the Black Lives Matter movement, especially obviously in it, kind of in the UK, a lot of people were quick to kind of, talk about what they were pledging and, and and pledging support and solidarity and it's it's kind of we're going okay well now what are you doing and can we you know how can we help bring that forward how can we help you actualize your ambition to mm. to, to do better and and that's the kind of the movement side so you know you got the participant program which is about individuals like literally powering up individuals who deserve to be powered up and we can go into detail about that soon but the movement side is like okay the systems and the organizations let's look at that and let's look how we as power up can aid that and push that agenda to the point where it's not just pushed for conversation it's pushed now because we've had conversations it's pushed to actual action and action that will actually help and you know you can imagine these two things as they move forward you know the systems get challenged and changed and the individuals get, you know, better and get more opportunities and and all that. You, you can imagine that's where you, you, you start to see a meaningful change, especially because, you know, the aim with Power Up is that it's it, it's going on for at least 10 years. So you can imagine after 10 years, that's, that, that could be an awesome change alongside all the widespread stuff that's going on. Do you know what I mean? It's not just Power Up doing this work. Generally, you know what I mean? There's other stuff going on in inside organizations and in, and different industries, you know, right from education through to entertainment. So you can imagine like, you know, the future could be really, really bright for, again, for those people who deserve it. And those people who haven't had those opportunities before, do you know what I mean? Fair opportunities before. Mm. Right, good start. Nick? Yeah, like very intricate kind of explanation as to why this exists and what <laughs> I was probably meant to only I was probably only meant to say a sentence there but I just I just thought I'd uh, give it no 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 no, no 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 this is the platform for nuance so 100% like um, I'm happy for the expansive I think it's going to make listeners and just us really understand the purposes and what 
what's gone into this and, and the cultural kind of context, because even last year, you know, there was a lot of pledges, as you kind of rightly pointed, and even a day, you know, dedicated from the music industry to yeah. think about ways to really enact change. And then, you know, I've seen pledges and stuff, but I don't know. I mean, there's small movements from the likes of like George, the rapper who's doing incredible work in his position um, on the label side, trying to work some stuff out. But in terms of real institutional change i think you're one of the biggest movements i've kind of seen to kind of directly tackle the elephant in the room um and directly address that elephant you know and use the word black you know in your rhetoric and, and conversation because i think a lot of outlets and labels and stuff are scared to say the word black you know and and think it's kind of a dark connotation but i think the way you guys have framed it is empowering and kind of even the power up sentiment with the arrow kind of iconography. Oh, you get in your is... you guys go in deep in it. You 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 no, I just, welcome I, to doing like this. Yeah, I just see <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it's really empowering. And then I saw figures like, you know, obviously Shanice um be recruited yeah. as kind of ambassadors and stuff and you guys dedicated a, a night on YouTube and went live and, and did all of that. So incredible work. But I wanted to ask you why I mean, how your career, sorry, individually informed your involvement with this Power Up Foundation and why you thought this was the initiative for you? I must say, first of all, thank you for, you know, that level of, um, you know, again, you know, I mentioned Ben Winter and and, uh, Joe Franklin and obviously Joe's um, the CEO of PRS Foundation and and Ben used to be there. Now he's at AIM and, you know, he's a wonderful music entrepreneur in, in, in his own right, alongside all the stuff he does kind of behind the scenes. And and they they really got to the crux of what power up needed to be long before I came. I got involved. Do you know what I mean? And I got involved in in August, um, and obviously came on as a consultant to do uh, you know essentially R and D work to get it to the point of launch. And but yeah. you know I you know all praise to them guys and and because it's not it hasn't fundamentally changed from what they were saying it's it's probably you know we had a lot of robustness but they got they got the crux right but in terms of my my um my background um you know being a black person working in the uk music industry being a based oh you know my whole career outside of london and being outside i suppose outside of the the click the system so to speak but um as kind of I believe it set me up for this. And when this came about, when um, it was Joe who called me actually and said, look, we're, we've got this thing called Power Up and we're developing it. And, you know, I'll send you some information just so you can see it. Let me know what you think. And I was like, this is amazing, Joe. Whatever you need, give me a shout. But me not thinking about being involved, me just thinking about this is a game changer. And I was working on something similar within Liverpool at this time because I've worked within, I worked in the music space in Liverpool for a long time and I've got a, a business partner called Ray Paul and we've got a company mm-hmm. called The Playmaker Group. So my company's based in in London. Now one company now is based in London. So we do a lot of work for the, the likes of BBC. We manage people like Shawnee B from One Extra. We we do a oh, lot of con- we do a lot okay. of content across. Like we do Radio Four, World Service, etc. etc. We work with artists. We do work with like Damian Marley and Stephen Marley nice. and Shaggy, and yeah. we do all this yeah. stuff. We do events at Glastonbury. We work, you know, we consult with brands like Levi's. We do festivals, it, it, like loads of stuff. But like I've always had this like slightly outsider's perspective of stuff, um, and I've been very attuned to. Uh, what I like to call the black experience, which is very broad, but um, yeah. just just understanding kind of 
that nuance. Whenever I've been involved in music, I'm very into I'm very into stuff that has a very strong why. Yeah, like I don't really just get involved in anything. A check is not really what I I'm I'm driven by. I'm I'm more driven mm-hmm. by like wh- what does this do? How does this move things forward? What's the story? Or what's the story that I'm gonna help tell? Um, mm-hmm. So the power up thing made perfect sense, and I had I obviously I had a slightly different perspective, and it wasn't just. And, and that's not not being. I, I just wanted to get deeper because I knew all this existed, but I knew that there's a couple of challenges. And I've worked in. I, I, I've been a consultant with Liverpool City Council for like nine years, doing their music activity. So doing a massive festival that they do, but also a music development initiative that's run for like eight years. And I always know that sometimes you've got to work out how to speak on slightly a couple of different levels to have maximum impact. So when for Power sure. Up was there, I was like, number one, I wanna I wanna get to the crux of what the the people who will be impacted by this, what their experience are and what they want us to do. And that was, you know, again, Ben and Joe want to do the same thing. So let's do R and D. Let's speak to a lot of the black uh, the black professionals in the music industry, whether they are artists or whether they're industry professionals. But let's also segment it and look at different areas. So we we had, you know, focus groups that were looking at different things such as regionality, sexuality, um, genre, um, enterprise, et cetera, et cetera. And all these things I I I had a I had a finger on and kind of understanding what could potentially come from that. Um because again, of my experiences, I know I know that if you're in a region or a nation, your experience trying to get into the music industry, if you're black, is is very different than someone who's in London. And if you work within the kind of music media outlets, your experience is very different than somebody who wants to be in A&R. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And if you want to start your own enterprise and not necessarily be in a building, your experience is different than someone's in a building. Not better, not worse, just different. And, 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 you know, I was keen, again, taking all my experiences and I've worked across, like I said before, I've worked across the board. I've managed new artists. I've worked with established artists. I've worked within traditional black music, quote unquote, genres and worked with people who do neo-soul jazz stuff or, you know, you know, progressive stuff. I've worked as a as a platform receiving content, but I've also set my own platforms. I've had my own magazine and podcasts and websites and, you know, I've done so, you know, you know, I've run talent development programs. I've had a joint venture label with Polydor. Do you know what I mean? I've been a consultant with major labels. I've released records myself. So all this stuff was like, but what I always knew there was a thread and the thread was the the opportunities aren't always fair. The, 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 the return and not just financial, but again, opportunities, everything is not always fair as maybe our white counterparts. I'll use, I'll use, you know, that as a, as a, as a litmus test. I know that if you're in a regional nation, cause that's obviously I've worked with loads of people from outside London, it's very different. So all that was going in. So when the power up, um, when I, when I presented for the role of, of consultant with power up in August, you know, a lot of that came through and, you know, again, praise to Joe and, and Ben for like, going, you know, we see how it's got actual lived experience of the barriers and challenges, but also a mm. lot of experience kind of a weaving in through this, yeah, through, well, weaving in through this this world because I've been able to navigate the London thing and do work at a, a high level, but I understand really micro things as well. Do you know what I mean? And I knew with Ben and his passion and his understanding, his like frontline, you know, fire and Joe's really analytical and strategic way of thinking. Mm-hmm. That if we built 
the rest of the system correct in terms of, okay, who's our steering committee? You know, who's our focus groups, our ambassadors? Like if we can get all that right and get down to the people and use the, you know, again, the PRS Foundation system, which is a national nationwide system and really get down to the ground, we can do some real good here. And just knowing as well that we're not going to start off, you know, on this on this marathon sprinting 100 miles per hour. You know, we're going to be, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be uphill for a while, but you know, the, the point being is if we can be as trans transformative as we have been in our, I suppose, in our thinking or as progressive and innovative in our thinking, I think, you know, we, we will, um, we'll have a good, good shot. And all that spoke to what I've been trying to do for the last 16 years. So, you know, I feel like it's all fed in really well. Yeah. Can I just ask a really quick follow-up yeah. um, if that's all right yeah, yeah, with Chope, yeah. um as well. Um, just while we're on this topic, because Chope's question might take us somewhere else, but I really just want to ask you, um, because, you know, we've heard Beverly Knight, for example, on the Mobos talk around the institutional issues and, and just black British talent across the board, not being respected and, and given the right opportunities for maximum success for prolonged periods of time. So I wanted to ask you in the last couple of months doing your R&D, which research and development for people who don't know, um, it, during PRS and like what you found with the the different industry professionals what were some of those underlying issues um for black industry professionals in the UK whether they are in London or throughout um that you found just really get to the nuts and bolts and, and talk to us about what are some of the commonalities that that face some of these communities in 2020 going into 2021 well you know there's so many, but like, let, let me go through. I'll, I'm just going to run off. And these are not necessarily in order of a, of importance, but just ones that yeah, will come to mind. Course. So, you know, opportunities, you know, lack of opportunities, um, lack of, you know, you have people in like major labels who go, I work on this artist from the ground, a black artist or a black music artist, either, either one, who's doing whatever music and it gets to a critical point of success and it's taken away from me and it's given to a white senior person. Then the other one is, you know, stuff like just across the board again, you know, black people not being in position, decision-making influential positions yeah. within corporations. So when it comes to tr dealing with issues that are culturally sensitive, they might be able to be in a room and have a discussion, but when the decisions are made, they're not in that room. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's your profile and just not seeing enough black people, It like, and I'm talking about breadth of black people in the music industry. Do you know what I mean? So like, I, I you know, it, you know, some of these focus groups, I had people who I would assume knew each other because we're in a topical space. Yeah. So we're doing A and R, we're doing recording and publishing, or we're doing regionality or whatever. And I assume that they all know each other, and they don't. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, a lot of it was like even just connecting and profiling, just like we need to see these these successful people it, it's more than just the, the yeah. successful 10 that we hear about basically or the successful five artists that we hear. what about the ones who are doing something really interesting in tech within the music industry where, where did because they, they do mm -hmm. exist so yeah there were some issues then you had um when we done one on uh, gender we you know we talked about like how black males seem to be or some black males as the case maybe are starting to to get to points of influence but they're not yeah. necessarily bringing through the black women and then you had the, course, and then you had yeah. a lot of stuff around like mm -hmm. colorism um which is something that we're going to get into in the future but for, you and know sexuality. But like you know sexuality was sexual we done a whole we done a separate um comic because we, we again we were like a lot of people don't 
within the black community and 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 the music and a lot of times that's not even talked about and we have some 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 of the genres by the way they've developed are just not a great space so we so we wanted to get into it anyway so we um we got the and then yeah we talked about that we talked about how you know that's another layer and another barrier another challenge same as gender adds another you know and then we you know again the regionality thing you know it's like people from all around just going it and it was not just about like we're far away because there's loads of things like that you know i i spend i did spend before all this six thousand pound a year just traveling back and forth to london that's a massive barrier because that means i've got to be you know, if I'm I'm trying to, I've got to I've got to be there. I've got to be around. It's economic. Lot, yeah, it's economic. Yeah, how do I get over that? Because when, classism. Yeah, and then yeah, exactly. And there you go. And you know, I, I'm not from a well-to-do background, so like like I've got to almost earn six grand more than my counterparts in London just to be able to be yeah, in that mix. Just to be able to and get then, there. And then you have the imposter syndrome, which I think black people have going into different spaces. But then if you're from a nation or region, and you've got a different accent, different way. You you've you've got that as well. Um, so all these things play, the, you know, and this is just some of them. Enterprise people talking about, I don't even feel conf confident going into like speak to, you know, like there's a session around venture capitalism or, you know, there's a strategic board set up in, in my in my um, industry, but I don't feel confident enough to go there or I don't get invited or we just don't get told. Do you know? So it's these, mm. it's so many, do you know what I mean? And then the music creators talking about, you know, I know my deal is not as good as these other artists or I heard that the publishing deals that this, this publishing house gave out for this period of time, you know, majority black artists are, their deals are worse than the white artists that the, but we can't prove it, but we know because we, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. And mm. it's like, well, how do we get over this? Mm. What, what should power up do? And, 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 and really from doing those um, focus groups, I think it was in October, it kind of led to us going, okay, Ben and Joe would come up with what the participant program could look like, but then this really cemented it because we just got these these extra um, these extra nuggets of what we should be doing. And I'm strangely enough, I'm not, I've got a big pin board on my wall, and I'm actually looking up now. I didn't even realize it would have been easier to go through, but like I I've literally put up all the main things people said should be in the participant program or the movement or the network. So I've got stuff like. You know, we should be doing a pledge with targets for organizations. We should be, you know, more group dialogue, more, you know, activity outside of London, like regional activity that's not driving applications, just support on those industries outside of London to help with black music professionals consistently, not just drop in once a year because we've got a big funding hit, but like be consistently there supporting. So because, so we can bring bring them guys up too. Do you know what I mean? I remember Jay-Z saying something about Tidal going almost like, it, sometimes you've got to raise the ta raise the level of the water for everyone because then everyone's higher. And and that's something that come out of the regional one. So, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's 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 all that. Um, and you, you, you can mm. tell already that's a lot. And there's well more, do you know what I mean? I've got a two page document with like 50 recommendations that came out of out of um, the, the um, focus groups. And and that's how people feel. And and the focus groups were only for an hour and fifteen minutes. You know what I mean? In reality, you know, I, I want to get back because there's more, you know, there's even more now. I'm sure. Yeah. There's more and challenges. I love that how expansive you're being with these answers because you've already touched on so many things that I wanted to ask you about, which I love. Because I had a question about the focus groups. I'm glad you've <laughs> on that. But moving into um, I guess this is more of a um. It's not exclusive to power up, but I guess power up can contribute to this. So a lot of the racist practices 
that are upheld in the industry on both a macro and micro macro and macro level is propelled by what is perceived as good business and what sells records and what makes money so what can we do and what can power up do to challenge this because you know as they say this is the music business so what are your thoughts on that i i I don't think the two things need to be i don't think you you've got to undervalue people or culture and to make a profit Do, do you know what i mean i think like we're seeing it now. I think a lot of brands and organizations are getting onto the fact that you can stand for something and still pr- make a profit. So you look at like what um, what mm-hmm. Nike done with with Cap, right? So they pissed off a lot of people and a lot of people didn't buy, but then a lot of people were then 10 toes in with Nike after that. And Nike's, Nike's value shot up. Do you know what I mean? So you can do both. You see it in, in, I suppose, in the fashion industry, you know, people who are looking into sustainability and, and, and really taking it seriously aren't, it's not like all of a sudden people aren't buying their products. In, in reality, people feel more connected to the brand. And I think, you know, again, cause, cause we're so influential as, as a race in terms of, of music, entertainment, culture, uh, popular culture, youth culture, I think, if we feel empowered and supported by these organizations and feel like we're getting treated, it, it, it can only help them. And I, so I hate, I like, not that I hate the thing, because I understand it, but I don't mm. think good business means exploit, exploitation. Good business can be good partnerships that last a long time. And I think the way we're acting now and as, as, collect, as collective as we're starting to get with things like this, um, I think it becomes good business sense to have these conversations, good business sense to really try to empower um, consistently, because I think at any point, if we start striking, and I've always said this, you know, you know, if a brand misbehaves and we all, when we're not buying that brand, you'll see our power. And this is what it goes to, I think I mentioned earlier, like I think sometimes you've got to show the, the financial weight for people to understand the power yeah so you know obviously the show must be paused and all that you know it, it, it let people know something that but if everyone didn't stream on that day or every black person or every art or whatever you'd have seen it even more and I, i'd like i feel like with black people and their worth to the to the to the uk music industry through the creatives to the people who work in the industries like that probably needs to be measured in a way that people understand. Because I always go like, when they talk about culture and the government, oh, we're, we're going to pull our money out of culture or whatever. We're going to pull money out of the music industry or whatever funding or whatever might be the latest thing that they're trying to do. Um, the way organizations, large organizations tend to get around that is to go, they they do an economic impact study and then sometimes show it back and go, well, if you've done that, this is the impact. Okay, no, we're not going to do that because we didn't realize it's worth that much. And I think good business is is understanding that. It's just a shame that um, sometimes it's got to get to that point. But I think we we can't be afraid to get to that point. And, and you know, it goes back to, you know, mm-hmm. history teaches us that's a way, you know, the Montgomery bus boycotts and, and stuff like that. The, the, you know, don't buy from this business. And what, all those things had a financial impact, which made people pay attention. And then you can sometimes get your, your, your extra points across. And I think... It will be good business for any large organization to take this seriously. And I think, and I believe they have, you know, like, yeah, I, I think the majors could be a little bit more 
That was actually um, my next question. Proactive and 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 and, ga- and game changing, but they have they have also started to set up systems internally to get better. Whether whether you know the measure of that of that um, action means it, we we think it's not good enough. But they have put some, re- you know, they put resources and they put systems there, and I think, I, I, I think that's what it's about. It's, it's about them realizing, and obviously not just the majors. I'm talking about large organizations and and funders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, realizing that, you know, the better way forward is is engagement, true engagement, and and re- and real empowerment. Again, for those who deserve it, that's all it's about. For those who actually deserve it. And Nick, before you go, I just have a quick question. So go for it. What has the response been? from the wider music industry to power up? Like, have any of the big major labels, management companies, marketing firms, have they offered their thoughts on how they could help and empower what you guys are doing or has it been quiet? Because I feel, and I was, we spoke about this on the show last year, that the show must be paused, Blackout Tuesday. I just felt it was all a bunch of waffle and black squares and very performative. I don't think it's actually made any truly effective or tangible change since. So you had all these labels posting these statements online, but as someone who is more, um, has more close relationships, have you had any response from those big firms, those big companies, those big executives about power up and what you're trying to achieve? Well, you know, there's some really um, large, large partners involved at the moment, um, YouTube Music. They they got it straight away. Um, I'm right to the top. Leo Cohen is like, you know, he's he's... He's very much personally aware and supportive. So YouTube Music was definitely one. Um, obviously, Beggars Group. You know, their their CEO swam the English Channel to raise money. They, he was the first one. He heard about it and was like, "But I'll get you started." Swam the English Channel. Like it's just nuts. Do you know what I mean? And again, that's not a, a, a black man doing this. This is a white man who goes, "I get this." And I've got, we've got to help, and and they're leaders in that space. Do you know what I mean? In terms of, and then um, obviously BMC putting, putting the money where their mouth is. Yeah, basically. yeah, and the BMC, and then obviously there's all the trade bodies, you know, MMF and the BPI and all that. They're all invested in in not just we want to be a sp- and give you a couple of things, but like we actively want to be involved. So that that industry is is there. Um, we are still having ongoing conversation because I think there's, again, there's two sides to it, isn't it? It's the participant program, which we're kind of, I wouldn't say we're leading with, but, you know, we've obviously led with that and kind of let's get these individuals in this, in the program. Let's, let's power them up. Let's do this. The movement side is a little, a little bit more tricky because it's also looking at what other organizations are doing and what did UK music say over here with the diversity report, what's BMC doing, what's black lives in, in music doing, you know, there's loads of buffer. What's all these organ? Let's, let's coordinate and let's make sure we're all singing from the same hymn sheet. And let's, but then there's other organ and obviously it will impact other organizations, but we know the same organizations that we want probably more involved in the movement side. So we need to actually work out, you know, what is that specifically? Um, and then go to them with, so, I do believe that the certain organizations that we have spoke to that I would have liked to believe would have been head over heels jumping to be involved in this and that's not been the case. Not surprised. Um, and a lot of the ones who a, a lot of the ones who aren't involved you feel like they've got their own activity that they're either in the process of 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 finessing and, and you know just working it out or that they've got their own priorities but again our thing is ours is power-ups like action-based it's really much like it's almost like the boat that a lot of them can get on that will help them reach their targets that these that they've pledged to 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 reach 
in terms of changing the game and moving the needle, etc. Whereas a lot of the ones that we've seen where the people have said, oh, we're not at this time yet or we can't do it because we put, we feel like some of them are, um, are gestures of support to black people or black organ or whatever, but it's not necessarily changing the system that makes it so hard for black people to to succeed within the music stroke, music entertainment space. And and that's what's a little bit um, disheartening, if if that's the word, the right word. You know, it, it, it's, it just feels like they're missing a the trick. And unfortunately, it may take a bit longer for them to get onto it. But I'm 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 confident that they will. Do you know what I mean? And also I think we've got to watch and, and you know, it hasn't been a year yet. So we've got to almost like I think we've got to watch and see how some of this transpires. And we've also got to be together. You know, I don't I I think it's very important and, and Ben says this quite a lot and Joe says this is like it's very important that we aren't bashing people. I think it, we've got to be here to be able to have a dialogue and go, even if you don't form power up, let's talk because if we, we can help you, we can help you. And if, if we're warring, that's not going to work. That doesn't work for the people. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't work. We can't publicly go out and pull others down who may be getting it wrong. Because sometimes that's ignorance. And sometimes you can't pull someone down who's ignorant, who doesn't know. Let's have a dialogue and hopefully we can inform you. And we can work together in whatever capacity to to make it better. But I, yeah, it's it's it is what it is. But you know, let's let's see let's see watch this space. All right, and I appreciate the honesty there because I had a feeling that I know you're not going to say who they were, but I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised that some people who definitely were speaking out last year have definitely been mute. But you know. Thank you for speaking to that. Nick? Um, I wanted to kind of follow the same line of questioning and just ask uh, what some of your successes have been so far. Do you know one thing that I was I thought would be one of the most challenging things is, okay, there's a couple. I think first and foremost was getting black professionals who have dealt with trauma, a lot of trauma in their in their lives and in their professions to engage in power up because you know like many they might be like oh it's another it's just another thing you know every everyone's doing stuff it is another one um and that was that was really like a massive win when we done the the focus groups to just see a lot of people who were really successful who were very busy but really bought into what we were doing and willing to lend their kind of experience and their ideas to what we, I think, I think that was like, that was wonderful for me. Again, people I may have worked with or people I've looked up to um, just answering that call and, and, and that was wonderful. And then some of the feedback I had off that once they knew what we were trying to do was, was incredible. And then kind of, on, in line with that was setting up the executive steering committee. Like we've got this steering committee with like 12 really um, accomplished black black professionals within the UK music industry. You know, people like Danny Dean, Keith Harris and Paulette Long and Tappy and, you know, just all these great, great people with, you know, lots of experience and, you know, lots of ideas and all doing wonderful work. And, you know, between Ben, myself and Joe, you know, asking them all to be involved in being the strategic lead, you know, because it was important that this is all black led. So will you be the strategic lead of Power Up? Um, and meet regularly and you know we can come to you with plans and what we're trying to do and you you know you tell us what you think and let's have honest discussion and make the answer the call the, we, we didn't there's not one no do you know what I mean it's like and 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 I, that was a feat and we've met I think we're on our fifth or sixth meeting it, it's it's incredible and then 
Uh, I suppose the, I suppose the third one would be when it comes to the applications. We just closed the applications for the participant program year one. I think we we closed it last week. It's been a bit of a whirlwind, but it was it was the tenth of March when we closed it. And uh, see, that's I don't even know. That was like two weeks ago. But right, so it was the tenth of March, and um, having over five hundred applicants, and and you know we had to do work. It was it wasn't easy because you know. Uh, to be fair, London, a lot of the London applicants, you know, getting people from London and people in certain circles, but we wanted to go deep into other genres. We wanted people who do classical and musical theatre and people who work in business affairs and people who work, and then, you know, promoters. Wow. And then people who are from Northern Ireland and people who are from Scotland and, you know, that small little town, you know, in in East, you know, Northeast. And, you know, and and at, the, at first it wasn't happening. They just weren't engaging. Like, they, they were aware of it. But again, we had to fight through a lot of barriers of like, is this for me? Mm. Am I mm. going to be judged next to the drill artist in London? You know, I mm. do this. And, and so we had to go on. We had to do, you know, I spent, I think it was like a two-week period where pretty much every day I was doing kind of calls over the day, but I was doing these like group sessions. Um, and, and it worked. We got there. In the end, we got like... Yeah. such a substantial amount of people in from different genres, different sexual orientation, you know, backgrounds, different, different genre. Like, and it, and to me, I remember looking at the stats and, and Joseph and I looked at them, the applicants and I was like, oh, bloody hell, we got there. We got there. This is, this is where it becomes fair. But then we also caught a lot of information from that. Like we were like, okay, in Northern Ireland, we need to, we need to look at that. We can't, we can't just send them the information because opportunity is one thing. Just being told about opportunity is one thing. You being out, getting over the barrier to feeling like you can go for it. And you, and you know, even the term like black, you know, some people were, were really, so we, we, we got to do a lot of education. We've got to do a lot of outreach. And then there was people in, in London who I thought were really, you know, who would honestly go for it, who, who rang me and went, oh, power up's amazing. Did I, are you going to go for it? Oh no, I didn't think I, it was for me. Like, oh, oh yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel that confident or yeah. And, and, and mm. we've got, we've got work to mm. do. Do you know what I mean? And, and I think it's, it's good, but it was, it's a win. It's a massive win because we are not used to having abundance of opportunities and opportunities just for us. And I think we've turned that key now and I'm, and I'm hoping that we can just continue to build up on it and, and also make sure that for those who don't get through, because again, 500 and, 500, I think it's 512 applications. We're only able to work with 40 a year. Um, for the others, we want to make sure that we are engaging with them because everybody's got something to offer. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's dealing and, and with barriers due to their race and, and stopping them progress. And we want to make sure we're doing stuff. So it's it, it's been wonderful. And it's been wonderful that we've... And we've always had a North Star. Again, Ben and Joe have set that up. But I mean, it's wonderful that we, 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 we've we got this, you know, massive amount of information to allow us to, to make sure Power Up is the transformative initiative that it's it's set up to be. Um, and we mm. um, and hopefully we just get the support because a lot of this is still about you know finance re support and you know right now it's 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 only me working on power up there's no other like Joe from a CEO standpoint but he looks after the whole of PRS foundation you know Ben is the fire but Ben Ben's a multi hyphener same with me I've got you know I've got three other businesses do you know what I mean as well as doing power like we need more resource because we know there's so much that can be done. Um, but we've got the fire, you know what I mean? And 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 to be fair, the wins that we've had have kind of just intensified that. 
and and that that's amazing. And I think for me, and I'm glad you said this. What I liked about with your focus groups and even the applications you got is that because I think that the UK has a very fickle relationship with black artists and black people behind the scenes who don't fit into perhaps these typical stereotypical molds. Because you mentioned like all of our judges against the drill artists, and I do think that that's another issue that we have in this country that isn't spoken about enough about about the diversity yep. of blackness. It's like, so the black artists who are doing so well or the black professionals who do get to go somewhere, it's usually like, okay, they're just A&Rs or promoters, but like there are various areas and interests and tastes that we all have that also need opportunities and representation and representation that actually leads to offline work and offline change. So I'm glad that... Mate, it's, 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 it's critical, but you even think about power up, you, you know, the way Ben and Joe set it up from the beginning was you'd be supporting music creators and you'd be supporting industry professionals. And then from the beginning, it was, we want those categories to be as diverse as possible. Like, I know um, we took it kind of personal that, you know, at one, po- at one point there was no one, no classical artists, black classical artists that had applied. We personally went to classical artists and went, yo, why aren't you, you know what I mean? It's like, we're, we're serious about it because... In those certain areas, you know, like, you know, black females in live, we know there's barriers there that they're facing that are well more extreme, no offense, but no, well more extreme than a drill artist based in London. So they need the support more factually. Do you get what I'm saying? If you're in a certain space, if you're a black person in business affairs and there's only three of you in the whole of the UK, you're going to need more support than somebody maybe who's working in A&R just just on the basis of numbers, just on the basis of, you know, and then you add the cultural barriers, et cetera. Same way with, you know, artists, you know, if you're a black black artist doing, whether you're doing black music or anything else, um, or you're a perfect, and you're in Northern Ireland, or you're in, you know, certain areas, it, there's challenges there. And, and I was speaking to the- If you're just not from London, basically. Yeah, but like, you know, the, you know the, but even that, you know, if you're in Birmingham, it's probably better than if you're in Scunthorpe. Do you know what I mean? It's like, And we need to make sure those people don't feel isolated because the big thing, the the big, to I suppose use a bad odds term, like we've got to be tethered to each other, to to really Mm. to really make this work. We've got to be connected. No, it's true. I mean, because it's true. As soon as the the division is how some of this trouble has started. So when I'm speaking to you know to a lot like I remember I won't say names, but there's I work with a, a a black female artist from the UK who done really well. Um, and she went to the States, done some work there and came back and what she done really well. And she, her story remind, I, was similar. When I spoke to, you know, Sabrina Washington from Mystique, who's one of our ambassadors, I spoke to her. She talked about the same thing. And then I spoke to this artist who was in the garage scene and done great. She said this, but those three I'd never spoken. And I was like, why aren't we not speaking to each other? Because there's not, there's not that many of us. So one thing that we're trying mm. to do with Power Up is this network thing. Like, we just want to be able to talk and talk, not only just in a safe space, but talk because we believe that some progression comes from it, some some emboldenment. When I left those um, focus groups and we'd done them in, a, in a, like a two or three week period, when I left those focus groups, I was, I was, I was a bit distraught slightly because I felt, I felt the trauma and all that, but I was emboldened that everybody at the end of it was like, when are we going to do the next one? And you know what? Oh, such mm. and such. Could, hey, can you, can you, I'm going to put my email in the chat. Let's talk. We should be talking. I, I've heard about you, but we've never spoke. Oh, I've been in rooms with you, but we've never spoke. 
or you know what i've been wanting to speak to you but i just didn't know if i could approach and I, and I was like this is what it's about this is what it's about and and that's why I'm, like it's 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 heartening it's it's really like and it it just gives you that fire because this is a lot of work do you know what i mean but it, it it's 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 um it's wicked when you when you when you when you know where it's going and how much it's appreciated i can hear how fulfilling it is for you and how it how it continues to fulfill you yeah i'm i'm and i'm just trying to you know what the thing is i i don't i'm i'm a quiet quiet pet i'm 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 a classic introvert do you know what i mean like if I trust you, I'll speak and whatever, whatever. But like, I just want to do my little bit to this thing. I've I've never, you know, I think Ben and Joe and PRS Foundation, all the people involved, they're like, they're the, they're the, the and the ambassadors, obviously, they're the ones who, to me, it's like, they're the shine. I like, I'm just, I'm just grateful that the guys at PRS Foundation w wanted me to, to do what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? Because it's humbling. Because if, again, if I wasn't, doing this role, I would be involved. Like I would have applied. I would have wanted to do, I would have wanted to set up a power up splinter group in in, in Liverpool or something, do you know what I mean? I would have wanted to contribute because it's amazing. Do you know what I mean? I'm just glad that I'm in a position where I can contribute to it more directly. Okay, Nick? Um, I wanted to talk a little bit around regionality because of Liverpool. So I just wanted to ask you a bit around Liverpool and what, your experiences there have been compared to the London industry that you've kind of experienced as well. Well, you know, let's let's start with you know calling it as it is. There's there's no there's I wouldn't say there's no industry in Liverpool, but the you know we've got Ditto, which is you know amazing independent distributor yeah. based up here, and it kind of come out of here. You got um, Centric, which is one of the best independent publishers, but like and and obviously you got you know great education institutes like University of Liverpool and, and Paul McCartney School of Music here, Lipper, and you know wonderful amount of festivals. You know Africa OEA, the biggest um, African festival in in Europe, and you got Liverpool International Music Festival, which I've created for years, and Liverpool Sound City, which is a trade, which is you know a business and and showcase festival. And so there's there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm very proud of Liverpool in that way. But for black um, music creators and industry professionals, it's it's a hard road, you know what I mean? And, and you know, I, I'm involved in the Liverpool um, City Region Music Board and we're, we're actually writing a, a manifesto right now with, you know, really great actionable, po actionable points because this hasn't been a fertile ground for, for black, black music artists or for black music generally. And I'm talking about it like, as Liverpool's known as a music city, black music has played a massive part and black people have played a massive part in the city. You know, you talk about the Beatles and they'll they'll tell you they picked up stuff from, you know, the doo-wop um, soul, soul group, The Chance, and, you know, and they were going to these, you know, um, these these house parties within talk stuff, which is kind of like the, the the black quote unquote black part of of Liverpool, and they were picking up this music, and they they were fascinated by rock and roll, black music, and they added it, and all these things that are there, and you know, and then you know the you know the most covered artist in the Maisie beat scene, which is in the sixties, late fifties to sixties, that was a massive export where you had Silla Brack and Jerry and the Pacemakers, all these icons, not just from Liverpool, I'm talking about in the UK, you know. They, it was, it was, it was black. The, the most covered music by them was black music. You know, you, you talk about Motown and what the Beatles were. They had this, this relationship where they'd cover each other's music, and people don't talk about these things. And then you get into like the punk scene, and then you get into house music scene with Cream and all these. Like black music has played a massive part. You had the the real thing from Liverpool. You know, one of the they were classed as the most successful pop rock band out of. Um, 
out of the UK at one point, the late 70s. Then you had the Christians. But like really for the last 40 years, there's not been black artists that have really been able to succeed and flourish despite a wealth of talent. So you had, you know, Mike Lowry a couple of years ago, Zamvolo, Kofi. Um, Trems and A Star now are doing a lot of great work, but there's th- you know thousands of others. Rebecca Ferguson, yes. there's thousands, there's thousands of others, and but, also, but, but they're not get, they're not getting out, and, and they're not getting out not because of talent, just because the system's not there. They don't. There's no there's no label that understands this music mm-hmm. here. There's no mm-hmm. where's the A and R's, and we don't. And you know the sad thing is, but maybe it goes to that talent drain thing that we don't want, but. We don't have people like Manchester will have someone like like Semtex as always, you know, he's from Manchester, but he's in the industry. So if someone from Manchester wants someone to call, he can call Sem. He's gonna be a little bit more supportive, just on the basis of, like we share thing. It in terms of Liverpool, and if you're in Black Moon or you're black, who 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 do we have? Les Spain is the one who 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 had success, but Les Spain is, you know, of a totally different generation than the kids who are coming up now. And and this is a this is a challenge, and this is a challenge that you, you see in other scenes. You know, Birmingham had a great run, but they, they didn't it didn't go as big as it probably should have based on the talent that was there. Do you know what I mean? And and we've got to sustain these scenes in other cities because it makes it stronger. We can't have everyone move. It's like what happened in America. The power of America is that New Orleans and Atlanta and LA and all these other outposts are able to have their own scenes and their own industries. And it's not everyone going to New York. And that's the power of those places. You get different flavors and different, and and we need that in the UK, especially because it's so small. And yeah, Liverpool's been a challenge, but I'm 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 pretty happy with the the work I'm I'm involved in because for years, for 10, 10 plus years, I was working quite micro with artists and getting them to a point, getting them signed, getting them, but we were never able to sustain it for them. Um, independently putting stuff out, you know, Kofa worked with Kofa was like, he had like 15 straight playlisted records on one extra and he was based in Liverpool, but we never, he, he never got to the point of critical mass where he could sign a record deal. So I was doing all these things, getting artists, working with artists, getting artists signed, doing talent development stuff. But I knew that I know that here it's it's, it's a really structural stuff. And as I say, I'm I'm working with some um, great people on the Liverpool City Music um, region, um, the board, and we're hoping that what we're going to try and put in place will have a lot more of a kind of systematic change, um, so that talent can properly be helped. And you know, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm feeling quite hopeful about that. Nice. So I wanted to kind of get into your partnership with the Black Music Coalition. Because one thing that I've seen in all the press materials is that you guys will set targets and apply pressure to increase advocacy representation of Black talent. So I just wanted to ask if you could like speak to the conversations and the outcomes that have happened in that regard since lo- since launching. Yeah, yeah I think um, one of the first kind of conversations we had um when I came on board was with the Black Music Coalition and you now I was aware of obviously the setup and I think they made quite a big splash when they first kind of come together and how quickly they came together. And obviously some of the names, you know, that we all know that were involved. And I think when we spoke to them, it was almost like, well, you know, do we have, we seem to have a shared goal um, where they might be focusing pre- predominantly on, you know, the majors and what happens in those spaces. Um, and we're obviously a little bit broader, but generally we want to make sure that there's challenge and there's goals and and then the support to reach those goals and um 
Yeah, we found it quite, you know, very fruitful. Like two of their members are on our executive steering committee, Shaw, Grant and uh, Cheryl as well, who's their chair. And, you know, that helps just making sure, you know, we're, we're very, very much connected. And again, I said, I said it earlier, we're, we're just trying to work out how that movement thing looks because there's other organisations. So what we're trying to do is make sure we're, we're all talking and then we go, okay, well, this is what it looks like. This, whatever it is, this pledge or this manifesto and, you know, how does it look? How do we communicate that? Um, because again, even since then, when we first started speaking to them, there's loads of other groups um, that have that have been set up that are, have got great ideas, like Baffa, which I think you know Jazzy B and all them guys are, and Cleveland Watkins they they're leading, and they're, they're coming at it from a slightly different angle, but it's great, um, and we just need to kind of you know, talk and go, okay, what, what are we, what are we asking for? And what, how are we measuring this? Do you know what I mean? Again, UK Music done a great piece on diversity. It's a broad theme, but obviously we're kind of unapologetically black with a capital B. So we just need to make sure we're drilling that down and we're asking for the right things that is reflective, but also it's going to be, it's going to lead to progressive, progressive change. Um, but yeah, again, it, it's been fantastic. You know, I love the dialogue. It's it's almost like metal sparring, and then you, and then and also a lot of best practice being shared, which I think is important. Do you know what I mean? It's it's important. Again, going back to the thing that we're just talking, and then we're working it out. And you know, Black Lives in in, in music, they put out. Um, I think they started their survey the other day, and um, you know. That's great because I suppose their their focus is classical and jazz, but that information that they're going to get from that survey is going to help us as well because they're going to work out specifically for black people in this music industry, um, what they you know what how much money do they earn every year, what are their barriers, how much do they feel things are changing, and and then that will inform what we do. Do you know what I mean? So that's why I said the movement side will take a little bit of time to do right. The fact that we're all we're all linked and we're talking and we're willing to share information is something that probably had never has never really happened at this this level. Um, so I'd say watch this space, but we're on it, we're on it, and I can say that with a smile. Okay, good, because that one I was like, oh, I need to ask about this for sure. <laughs> so me and Nick, we're gonna have we have one last question each for you before we round up. So okay. Nick, um, my last question for you is just in relation to um, mainstream record labels and signing and nurturing black talent i know that we've spoken before about like some of the the challenges that you faced and and some of the issues that some people have faced but what does impact and success in that terrain look like what is the ideal in terms of black recording artists in london across the country across the regions of the uk um finding success um on a label like what does that look like in terms of the business how they're treated all of that that kind of um the institutional barriers i think in terms of treatment you want you want um equality and equity like i think i think that's like you you want you want those deals to be the same were the same or or as re, uh, reflective so you you don't you, you that's that's a that's a a definite thing you know what i mean i think we've got to make sure and I, again i'm not saying they're not 
But again, stories and experiences suggest that sometimes there's, it's, a, it's not as fair. And then the equi equity thing is, you know, when someone goes in for a joint venture, how is that being cut up? Is it again being treated the same way? And then the experiences, it's all the stuff I mentioned before about like opportunities and ad adequate resourcing, do you know what I mean? Marketing budgets, teams, the right teams, you know what I mean? It's you know right personnel working on your project, the right uh, the understanding of your of your culture. So it's all these things that we've we've kind of came from our focus groups. But I think you know in terms of like percentages of signings and all that stuff, you know I think that's something that the labels like like you mentioned before because it's a business they've got a they've got a sign stuff that they think's gonna work. I don't I don't think it's it's a situation where you want them to sign people just because they're black or do a quota of signees that have got to be black because I think oh, yeah, for that sure. leads to yeah. failure, which means to which leads to more people you know thinking that you know black artists don't work well. Do you know what I mean? I think I think we've got to understand. Um, that's not the case, but we hope by, you know, powering up potential people who be working at these labels or people who are in these labels or people in these organizations or people who are setting up their own things that just because of that, there's, there's, there's an impact where things are just more fair and a little bit more reflective of the culture and of what's going on. We need to have more, like, you know, you mentioned before, it's like, we need to have a better reflection of the breadth of black and what that is in terms of music, in terms of characters, in terms of how we look, you know, and I think we, we can get to that point, but I think labels have got their own challenges and they've got to make a business case, obviously with who they sign and what they sign and all that stuff. And especially in this massive time of flux with streaming and content and rights and stuff like that. But we just need to make sure even throughout that those massive changes, we are treated correctly we're given we we are we are given the right types of opportunities the right types of resources it's it's us you know again even with independence it's 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 just it just reflects what we are what we're given you know where we are in our you know and I, and I think that's important but again that's got to be a dialogue thing and that's why I said before we've got to we've got to be able to talk with and support what they're doing because I know internally all these major labels and organizations are trying to address this 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 stuff, these topics. Um, but maybe we have a different perspective. And you know, again, the BMC have been you know doing obviously great work in that space. But we want to make sure that you know Power Up is 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 as involved as possible in 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 all that side of things too. Great. And Nick, you basically asked my question, so <laughs> I'm going to end it on a very much lighter note. You know, we've discussed some very deep things, so obviously at the root of the show is just about music. So, yeah, I would just, I just want to know, on a random note, who are your all-time favourite artists and what artists right now are in your headphones and speakers? Let's end on a, on a light note. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, who's my all-time favourite artist? Okay, this is this is a difficult one. Um this is so cliche, but I, I'm gonna have to be okay. There's 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 definitely two, but I'd say um, Jay Z is just one for me, and and the Jay Z thing is because I think he's an amazing lyricist, but I think the thing that I get, the thing that I've, I I, I never liked Jay Z at the beginning. 1996, I just I I I loathed his 1996 to 98. I used to like loathe his uh, his existence, um, but when I got into him and kind of understood a little bit more, is is. I wouldn't say his message because I know that sounds good, but like his ambition and and you know to see him manifest a lot of those things and for whatever whatever people say about Jay Z, I think the empowerment of himself and his people close to him through his different phases and his longevity to me is so inspiring, um, and I think it leads to some of the ambitions that we've all got and kind of really being able to, you know, 
be be great enough to be able to turn that into empowerment and and equity in what we do. And I think there's a lot to be um, learned from him. And then the other one would be Bob Marley again. Like my mum's Jamaican and I grew up, you know, and my dad's African. So we grew up in a household where I was consuming both sides, and I and I I I, re, I repelled <laughs> against Bob Marley. And reggae for so long, not in it, not in a thing. Just like generally, you know, I was listening to like hip hop when I was like six, seven, seven years old, and then I was listening to like pop music and all this kind of stuff as a mix when I was growing up. And but like, I just think Bob Marley's actually incredible, and I think just the st like how can like what again forty plus years, whatever. Like his stuff is just as relatable now. Do you know what I mean? And obviously, you know, we, we've been we're lucky enough to work with his through PMG is 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 his sons and, and that 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 music and that power and that message is amazing and then um artists now it's a weird one that like that because i think there's loads of good there's loads of you know good young talent there's a guy called Saba, i think he's amazing j cole i think i like what he does on on the most part his language is a bit mad sometimes because i've got young kids and i think sometimes you don't realize his language is like thing but like i think he's i think what he's doing and what he's trying to represent is amazing um i've, I've always been a big fan of kano so even having kano as one of our ambassadors on power up's been amazing but I, I just i've always loved loved what he's about and um and again because when i came up i was listening to like um you know, UK garage and stuff. My cousin was based in East London, so I was I was on Kano quite early and Wiley. So yeah, Wiley and Kano, uh, Wiley and Kano, but definitely Kano. Um, there's there's loads, you know. Like right now, I've I've started really letting my um putting together playlists and just when I listen to something, if I like a song, I just I just download it. Do you know what I mean? Kendrick Lamar's one for the the, the like is unbelievable, unbelievable. He's next level. Um. But yeah, there's, there's loads. I just, I feel like, you know, a lot of older people, I don't know how old you guys are, but I'm over 30. So I'm like, a lot of people get down on the new music, but I always think there's like little gems there that every now and again come up and I just think it, it, it's quite good and it's quite interesting. So No, Sabo's yeah. a great choice. I'm glad you said that. Me and Nick are big fans of Sabo. We yeah. love him. St. John as well. What Biggs Burke is doing with St. John in the States. I just think, I've been listening to his tune called Borders with Lenny Kravitz off his, his album. And I, I just think it's 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 massive. And then, yeah, there's loads. And then there's a, Carib a lot of Caribbean artists. I'm into the kind of that, like Prosigé and, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's people yeah. like that who I just feel like, ma even Massacre Massacre has got a tune called Corner. And I just I just love, they're just the, yeah, I, I'm just a fan of music, if I'm honest, you know what I mean? It's very hard to kind of limit it, but there's loads of different artists. And I'm I'm just always trying to listen and, 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 and follow stuff. But what I do think is quite interesting is there's a lot of older artists who we probably felt were going to, probably fade away that are still delivering heat and then there's loads of new artists and then there's the special ones that are probably emerging that you know are going to be game changers as well and i think I, I just think it's it's just very very interesting at this time right well thank you very much for that and that brings us to the close of this interview so i just want to say again thank you very much for taking time out of your weekend to come speak to us um i've learned a lot i've learned a lot of deeper um, elements of what you're doing, what Power Up is doing. So I just want to say thank you very much. And I think that listeners are going to be inspired and empowered and know that there's truly some work that they can do in their own day-to-day -day lives to help change these things we're trying to work towards. So I just want to say thank you. Now, thank you for having me. And, um, you know, I, I'm going to be listening to you guys all the time and, you know, keep up the great work. And um, 
Nah, thank you. Thank you for the support. It's, it's, it means a lot. All right, Nick, do you want to round it up? No problem. Um, if you want to follow the work of everyone, just go to PRS slash Power Up and you can catch all the information and ways that you can help um, or apply to specific schemes that they have got going on in the future as well. Um, I just want to thank you on my behalf as well for joining us today. It's been amazing. Um, very thought-provoking episode, I believe. Um, and it's always good to have guests who aren't from London on both myself and Shopee, which just texting about that specific note too um so yes catch us next week um stay blessed until then you are here with nicholas terrell and shoppe soatin and we will be back with a brand spanking new episode before you know it take care and have a great rest of the week